Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame, and you got the, and there's a... Now that's a follow-up question, Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical, and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold and the Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. The Irish put together their best performance of the season in a 45-3 beatdown of Pitt on Saturday. Now only a trip to Georgia Tech this weekend stands between Notre Dame and Clemson. This week on the podcast, we wanted to take a step back and talk a little bit about recruiting and to do so, we've linked up with one of the top-ranked commits in Notre Dame's 2021 recruiting class, and that's quarterback Tyler Buckner. Tyler threw for 4,474 yards and 53 touchdowns and rushed for 1,610 yards and 28 touchdowns last season at the Bishop School in La Jolla, California. Unfortunately, because of COVID-19, the high school football season in California was moved to early next year, and Tyler's takes some time to join, with us, join us today and talk with us. So, Tyler, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate the kind introduction. No problem. Yeah, those stats feel like video game numbers. Does it ever seem kind of weird to you just to, to just kind of hear and see those numbers uh, restated like that? Um, a little bit, um, but not really. I mean, they're just numbers at the end of the day. It doesn't mean a whole lot. So, you know, grain of salt. You know, Tyler, um, some of the schools backtracked like Michigan and decided to play an abbreviated season. I know California didn't do that. So in light of not playing this fall, how have you been working to keep getting better and and keep getting ready for your college career? That's a great question. I mean, the biggest issue about not playing a football season, I mean, in California is that everyone else is playing football. Like a lot of other states are playing. I don't know what the number is, but I think it's 40-something or playing some sort of season. And California is one of them, which is definitely a bummer. And I'm obviously – sad about it but it's all about um making making do with what I have and try I've been trying to recreate my days as if I'm in a football season for example if you think about a football season um basically five days a week you're practicing um with the game sort of on Saturday so you can't recreate a game obviously so I'm, I'm I'm trying to get my I'm already getting my film work in um lifting running throwing um field work so just trying to get um, an equal amount of stuff spaced out through about six days a week, every like six days a week, take Sundays off. And um, so I'm basically just filling up my days with that. And school's pretty limited with me right now. I'm only two days a week online. So um, I'm pretty, schedule's pretty open. So I'm basically able to work out and put football first right now, which is I haven't been able to do in all of my life. So it's basically mm-hmm. the first time to be able to just sort of just do school on the side and basically just really focus on football right now. What I mean, I imagine everyone's kind of in the same boat out there with you in terms of trying to find ways to keep improving on their own football skills. Um, so is it easy to kind of find guys to get together and do things? A little bit for the most part, but um, I think it's the hard part is like finding fields and stuff. And um, I'm still throwing and I, I still throw. It's, it's, not, it's not hard at all. I mean, every single football player is trying to to work out and lift and things like that. So I have plenty of buddies and things like that. So there's no problem there. Tyler, I saw in September, there was an article in the San Diego paper where you said, you know, my plan is to still enroll early in Notre Dame 
but I'm kind of leaving this open-ended in case, because, you know, we've seen the last seven or eight months, the world changes unexpectedly at times. So I'm wondering if that's still your path or did you think about, and did you talk to the staff about whether it would be more beneficial for you to play at Helix or at Notre Dame in the spring? Yeah. I mean, I, I think this, like me, I and the staff both want to go, want to go early in uh, January and that's the plan and has been the plan. I don't, it would, it would take a lot to change that, but you never know these days. So that's why I'm just, you, you really never know. I, I, I plan on graduating early, but who knows if the NCAA comes and says some crazy something or state of California says some crazy stuff. I mean, we really just don't know. So I'm taking it week by week. And, uh, but the plan is to graduate early. I'm preparing to do that. But in case I can't do that, I'm also preparing for that as well. Tyler, one of the last opportunities to compete that you had was in the elite 11 uh, finals earlier this year. What did you take away from that experience? I think I took away that, um, Football is a journey. That's what I would say. Not, you're not going to be able to come out and be the best version of yourself every single time you play. And I, I, I don't think I played that well there, but I had a great experience. And it's more about the journey and the things I picked up along the way. I picked up so many things mentally um, that I never would have learned if I didn't go to the 11. Um, not only did I build some great friendships and relationships with coaches as well, but I learned a lot about football and myself off the field as well on a personal level about how I perform, how I think mentally when I play things like that, how I take coaching and things like that, that are, I think will benefit me even more than teaching me something about a coverage or something like that. So I'm grateful for the experience and had a great time. I would imagine one of the cool things about watching Notre Dame this year is you've got to see what a Tommy Reese offense actually looks like instead of, trying to conceptualize it. So I'm wondering what your impressions of that offense looks like to you. I mean, obviously it's hard to deny that the O-line has been super dominant and the, it's fun watching the run game. Cause obviously eventually this year, like we, we saw last week, Ian, Ian got to air it out a little more. So, um, I mean, when you run the ball that well, it's sort of definitely opens up things down the field. So, I mean, the offense is fun to watch and I'm excited what they can do in the next couple of weeks. Cause I, it's clearly trending trending upwards. I mean, they put up a lot of points and uh, Louisville, they had a couple, whatever, a couple didn't really finish in the red zone. But other than that, offense has been really, really, really well. And and so when you watch a game, let's say the Pittsburgh game, if you watch it, do you plug yourself in? Do you watch it through that lens or are are you able to kind of, you know, watch all the different facets or is it more about how do I fit in? What am I going to do with this offense when I have a chance to run it? Yeah, I think what I, what I sort of do is I don't really watch it as much as I, I would wish. I do watch the game for entertainment as it's hard not to. But, I mean, every play I sit down, um, I look at, the, look at the coverage. I try and look at everything I can to try and think about, like, okay, what does he have here? Um, what's the defense giving him? And then what do I, what do I think the play is going to be? All this stuff. And then how they react. I'm like, oh, what would I have done there? Oh, what I've thrown to him, what I've thrown to him. I mean, it's way easier saying it from watching TV. I mean, we all do it, but uh, right. those type of things are. are I I I, just, I make sure to watch every snap of every all the offensive plays of Notre Dame. Okay, well, you've known Tommy Reese since at least 2018. You you were on campus and, and threw for him at a camp back then. Um, yeah. Ended up uh, landing you a, an offer from Notre Dame. What what about him? I guess from that, from those early impressions appealed to you. And then I guess moving forward, since you've gotten to know him more has, has continued to appeal to you as someone that you, you trust in, in guiding you along as, as your quarterback's coach as well. Yeah. I mean, he's been in the, sh- he's been a Notre Dame quarterback. So, I mean, no one can teach that aspect of it. I mean, he's, he's lived it. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's great to just have a guy who's, who's been in that shoes coaching from your coaching you because he knows what it's like and he knows what it's like to play too. Um, I think on another note, I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. Um, really enjoy talking to him. And what I think is pretty special about him is he stayed the exact same. He's been the same guy, same coach, same person from 2018 till now. Um, a lot of these recruiting coaches are put on a face to recruit you and things like that. And you can, some people can see through it, some can't. And then 
when he finally played for me, like, oh, wow, it's a different person. But I don't. I think Reese is a genuinely great guy. So excited to play for him. Obviously, you've been to Notre Dame before, and there was going to be that big recruiting weekend in March, and that's when everything started to kind of get shut down. And Notre Dame struggled a little bit with its recruiting virtually at first, and then picked up momentum, and they've gotten kids to commit that have never been on campus before. As kind of the quarterback and the leader of that recruiting class, how how have you tried to take a role in making those guys feel comfortable about making that kind of decision without ever having been to South Bend? Yeah. I mean, I think these, these times are so crazy. The fact it's so hard for kids to, the fact that kids can't go visit schools or take official visits is, is, is really, I would be annoyed if I was a recruit who had to go, who was trying to make a decision. So I'm lucky that I already have been committed, but um, I definitely feel for those kids. And, um, but going back to the recruiting aspect, um, it's all for me, it's all about just building relationships with these kids. And it always has been, I mean, these are, these are my future teammates and future friends for a long time. So, I mean, it's really just about building bonds with these kids, reaching out to them. Um, I don't, I don't love, love sitting there and selling them on the school because I, they hear it all the time. I mean, coaches, fans, I mean, everyone, that's all I get. So I I, I'll, I'll definitely throw a couple shots at him and so, oh, this, this is – Notre Dame's got this. That other school doesn't have that. But um, it's more about just building friendships and building some sort of relationships so that way they, they trust me. And um, that I feel like that's more valuable and it's been working. <laughs> what, uh, what, uh, in terms of football development for yourself, Tyler, what are the areas that you feel like you still need to improve on either before you get to campus uh, in – next year or right when you get to campus that you want, you know, you want to try to work on right away to improve on. Yeah. I'm really confident in my like physical, the physical aspect of my game. I think that if I go out there, if there was no thinking involved in football, I think I'd be pretty good. Um, but I, I, I think that there's obviously more to playing quarterback. And I think the area I want to improve the most, I think the biggest jump for most guys between high school and college is the mental aspect. I mean, there's just a lot more that goes on um scheme wise game plan wise all that stuff um and what the defenses are doing is a lot more advanced than what you see in high school so I, th- I think just getting to that level like getting not just par but below par like better than whatever better than i'm thinking of golf like birdie but um, <laughs> so i uh, yeah you want to be better than i, I want to get better at that and be i want to get really really good at that and so watching film on notre dame um learning the playbook which i'm doing now and things like that to just get ahead on that sort of stuff. Are, are you a big golfer? Is that why you're talking, thinking about pars and birdies or what? Um, I become, like I've since quarantine, I picked it up. So I okay. play for a bit now. All right. How often do you play then? Like a little more than I should. But, uh, <laughs> all times a week. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Um, I, I'm, I'm wondering do you have regular contact with Ian Book at all? Do you guys communicate? Is he available for you or is he, you know, pretty busy with his own stuff? Yeah, I mean, I have his phone number and all that, and I'll hit him up if I have an question, important question or something, and I have in the past, but not recently. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to bother him during his football season. I guarantee he's got a million things he's dealing with, and I'm the last guy he needs bothering him right now. But uh, I've, I've reached out to him in the past, and I've, I've drew his number as well, Drew Pine. Um, and so I, I, I can text him as well. So, um, yeah. What, uh, I, I'm curious, just sort of your perspective of kind of observing Ian's career. I mean, it seems like the longer a quarterback plays at Notre Dame, the more polarizing he seems to become, um, if he's not like the best quarterback in the country. Um, and it's been a while since Notre Dame's had someone who would be considered like the best quarterback in the country. How have you seen sort of Ian book handle maybe some of the scrutiny, and the pressure that comes with being the quarterback in Notre Dame. And what have you learned from that? Yeah, I, I think it's really impressive, honestly. Um, even when I, when I would go visit and like, even like a year ago, for example, he didn't get, he didn't have as much scrutiny as he does now, I would say, but um, I don't think there's a better guy to take that. I mean, he's just such a humble kid who really um, is grounded. And I think he's a great role model to, um, to show like that, um, it's, it's like he takes he takes it very well 
And so it's something I can, I should model after if I ever get in that position for I'm the quarterback, but um, yeah, I mean, it's really impressive how he does that. Um, yeah. We had Rick Meyer on a few weeks ago and he told a story about how your family won like a, I don't know if it was an auction or something or a silent auction or something when you were a little kid and you got to spend time with him. You yeah, remember that? I remember that. Well, what, what was that like and what's kind of your relationship with Rick since then? Yeah, I, I didn't, I think I was, I couldn't have been older than 10 or nine maybe. And I was friends with all his sons. So like okay. Oliver, Mo and Charlie and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I throw with Charlie sometimes, but I played lacrosse with Oliver too. And like, we're family. I would, I would call our, our families are very friendly and they live like right around the block from us. So we, we see him at outings all the time and things like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, he great, great family. And, um, I'm lucky to have him rooting for me. So he also mentioned, you know, we talked to him about you and, whether you'd miss the senior season and whether he thought you were ready for uh, to be a college starting quarterback as early as 2021. And he kind of gave the green light for all that stuff. He really felt like you are ready for that. How about you? What's, I mean, is that the mentality that you're going to go to Notre Dame and that you're ready and you're going to, you know, pursue that early? Yeah, I mean, that's the goal, right? Like, I have – I've had so much time, basically, off football, like, with COVID and all this, not being able to play. Like, I'm just preparing myself as best as possible, and I want to get to a point where I can be a starting college quarterback. I, I, I want to go – I want if I could go to Notre Dame right now, I would. Um, that, it's that type of thing. Like, I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, yeah, I just, I just, I just want to get up there as soon as possible so I can start playing some football. We talked a little bit about um, getting to know some of the other recruits and not being you not being able to play football. What? Uh, who are you the most close with in terms of the other commits in the class? And do you guys talk about which guys are being able to play this year, which guys aren't? Or is it they kind of leave you out of it so you don't feel as bad because they're getting to play their senior seasons? Yeah, um, I mean, all the guys who play, we always, we always wish wish them good luck before every game. We talk about it. Um, sentence, we, we have a big Snapchat group chat. We always talk in, it's pretty active. Um, I mean, there's like 20 something, there's like 20 of us now, something like that. So I would say I'm closest with anyone more than the next guy. I mean, we're all pretty close and, um, building relationships. We're bonding over filming out our applications and filming videos and all this stuff we got to do just to figuring out what, what we're going to do when we roll early, all this stuff. So it's more about that instead of, uh, Yeah. And we, we don't talk too much about who's playing, who's not. I mean, yeah, don't want to rub it in my face too hard. <laughs> Tyler, do you have um, a lot of athletes in your family? And, and how did you get interested in football in the first place? Yeah, my dad played uh, football at Colgate. You know what Colgate is? Small yeah. Yeah, uh, he played there, played fullback there. My mom rode equestrian in college. And my older sister plays beach volleyball at uh, Cal Berkeley so she's a year older than me so she plays there um, and my younger sister soccer player she'll be pretty good should be able to play in college and then my littlest sister is also a pretty good volleyball player so um, fam sports is sort of in the family that's sort of what we do. <laughs> you, you mentioned lacrosse earlier Ian was also a lacrosse player um, at one point how do you feel like that is influenced your football career has it made any impact in how you play football um I don't think direct I'm not sure I, I never really thought about that I played lacrosse before I played football always so it was lacrosse and then like I was I had off I had offers for lacrosse before I did football and it was always like oh I was gonna play lacrosse and then I always knew I was good at football but I didn't know how good I was at football you know and so lacrosse is sort of where I learned a lot of like it's just natural it's kind of like going playing you know, basketball you learn a lot of like your like cutting and just natural athleticism. You get it from playing basketball as a kid, for example, or playing tag, similar for lacrosse. Like it's just being an athlete. It's just going out there and out athleting people and sort of that's how you get like the little athleticism sort of comes from lacrosse, I would say. And then when, when did you, I guess, maybe fall in love with football and realize that that was kind of the path that was going to, you were going to take? Um, I think it was 
eighth grade, like playing youth football, we won like the Q-Bowl, which was like the championship of San Diego, whatever. My team won it. And I had such a great time. And I realized I was pretty good um, then. And I was like, all right, I could probably – I mean, football was always my first choice. Man, I love football. It's hard not to love football. Um, and I think after my freshman year, I started getting a couple offers and was like, oh, wow, I can actually – I can really play. Um, so that sort of gave me the validation, you know, that was like, okay, um, I can play at the next level. And so I think I'd always – like the love for football – had always been there. I mean, when you're five years old, there's pictures of like everyone loves football. Everyone wants to go to the NFL. So, I mean, the love has always, has always been there ever since I was, I could even imagine, but it was just a matter of at a certain point, it was like, it was starting to come to fruition. Okay. Tyler, last one for me. Do you have a big winter coat in your closet yet? <laughs> no, my grandma, my, my birthday's coming up in a week. So my grandma just texted me. She said, do you want a winter coat? <laughs> I don't have a single coat. Like I, I think I have hoodies and like rain jackets. I, I'm looking back there. I got nothing. Well, you're you're gonna need more, especially if you start in, in the winter here. You're definitely gonna need heavier jackets. Do whatever you think is preparing too much. Prepare more than that. That's how <laughs> you can never be too prepared for the cold weather here. Yeah, um, I'm not prepared right now. <laughs> you, well, you got you got plenty of time to figure that out. And plenty of Christmas gifts that could potentially come your way. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, last one for me, Tyler. Wh- who are the the quarterbacks that you look up to and m- maybe try to model your game after? Whether it's college guys or NFL guys, are there certain guys that you um, try to study or try to emulate a lot that that have shaped your game? Yeah, I mean, previously, I think last year it sort of changed. So last year, I was big into the guys like Mahomes and Rogers and Russell Wilson, the guys who move who move so well and are able to throw the ball so well off every platform and make things happen. But I think more recently, as I sort of gotten into more of like, I, I really enjoy watching guys like Tom Brady and the guys who are old and make it work. Like the guys who still throw so well, but they're at such an old age because they're just so perfect mechanically. Like watching guys like Brady, for example, is so fun to watch. Cause it's like, this guy is 40, whatever. I mean, he's 40, how oh, he's 40. Right. And it's like, he, how is he still doing it? And so it's things like that. I really enjoy watching guys like stick. Now it's like sticking in the pocket, take like retreating, taking a hit and still making a sick throw. So like, I, I like watching that as well, but I mean, watching guys like Kyler Murray and Lamar Jack, all oh, that's, that's fun. I mean, that's fun to watch, but I think I've, I've learned more this year through like the Tom Brady guys. All right, Tyler. Well, we really appreciate you taking time to catch up with us and talk to us today and joining the podcast. So thanks again. And uh, good luck with the rest of your senior year. I really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll get back to the podcast in a moment, but first a word from Coors Light. Seems like with everything that's going on in the world today, we all need a moment to just chill out. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. Over the last few months, we've gone from no sports anywhere to sports on television everywhere. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or any team. So whether you're watching the Fighting Irish or the Lawn Bowling Championship, crack open the mountain cold refreshment of a Coors Light. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies, a perfect moment to unwind. Make sure your refrigerator is always stocked with plenty of Coors Light. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. So the next time life forces are coming at you hard, take a moment, stop and reset and reach for a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Celebrate responsibly, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, now it's time for Place Your Bets. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? This is our segment dedicated to the degenerates. Let's make some prop bets for Notre Dame, Georgia Tech. First one I have for us, Eric, is over under three and a half catches for Ben Skoranek. Well, you know, Georgia Tech is not the best run defense or the pass efficiency defense in the country. They're actually equally bad at both. They're 77th out of 101 in each of those. But I still think the goal against Georgia Tech is going to be honing that passing game. And I think Ben Skoranek is a guy that they're going to need in November. So I think Ben's going to be targeted quite a bit. So I'm going to go over. Yeah, I'm going to go over as well. With no Austin out there and probably no Braden Lindsey, I do think they need to get some of the other wide receivers going. 
Um, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. And I think Joe Wilkins needs to get going. Yeah, that, that seems like a guy that Brian Kelly always seems to mention when we talk about trying to get some other guys involved. Um, so I think that maybe they try to force feed some of the other guys because Ian already sort of it seems like has a pretty good established relationship with Ben. But I still think early on they'll have he'll have a number of receptions and, and be able to get at least four catches, even though he's only caught four so far this season. Uh, next one is will Notre Dame complete a pass for more than 40 yards? Well, you know, I kind of looked at what Georgia Tech gave up. They gave up – they actually lost to Syracuse, and they gave up five such plays in that game in the week before they gave up three against UCF. But since they – since that Syracuse game, they've only given up two, and and that's with having played Clemson and some other pretty good teams. Right. Notre Dame, I don't think if Lindsey's not going to play and it doesn't look like he is and Kevin Austin is out, I don't know that it lends itself, even though Ben Skoranek had one, a catch and run. I just don't think it's happening. So I'm going to go no. I'm going to go with yes, just because I feel like there's a chance that there a couple or one kind of fluke play could come out there. And I would, I would venture to guess it would probably be a, a – a lot of yards after the catch. I mean, it could even be the one like Javon McKinley had where he did, he basically wasn't even running a route. He was running a fake screen, and then Ian Book couldn't find anyone open, and he threw it to McKinley, and McKinley had a bunch of yards after that because Pittsburgh has sort of just kind of left him alone. Um, so I, I think uh, Notre Dame will be able to find maybe just one of those, whether it's whether it's Skoranek or um, McKinley or even someone like Avery Davis with a lot of yards after the catch. I think – there's an opportunity for Notre Dame to find some room in that secondary, so I will go with yes. Next one I have for us is over under 94.5 yards of offense for Georgia Tech running back Jameer Gibbs. You know, when I first read the question, I thought it was just rushing yards, and I thought Tyler is insane with this. <laughs> this is so easy. And I know that he gets – he they throw to him a lot, uh, but it's been since 2013 – that Georgia Tech has had a player get 100 yards in receiving and rushing in one game. So I'm going to go under on that figure, especially because I think Notre Dame is going to be able to make Georgia Tech fairly one-dimensional. I think the, the difference in playing Georgia Tech and Pittsburgh is Jeff Sims can run, whereas Joey Yellen was a statue. Um, but I think that they're going to be – they're going to focus on Gibbs. And I think once they focus on a player and try to take him out of the game, they're pretty good at it. Yeah. I'm going to go over just because I think he's going to get so many opportunities, um, both in the running game and the passing game. And probably the passing game will be even more important and maybe even more fruitful for him. Um, So I think that there's a chance he had 90 combined receiving and rushing yards against Clemson. Um, So I'm going to go with over. Um, next one I have is, will Notre Dame lose a fumble? Um, you know, the one game that Georgia had, a, Georgia Tech had a lot of takeaways was Louisville, and that was in a real sloppy rain. Uh, so I don't think that their defense is necessarily great at coaxing them. And I think Notre Dame's been pretty careful with the ball. So I'm going to say no, the Irish will not lose a fumble. I'm going to go with yes. I think Notre Dame – while they haven't necessarily lately been um, sloppy with football, they were early on in the season. And I think maybe in a game like this, something like that happens where it could be pretty one-sided and maybe you're not as focused as you need to be. Um, and while certainly Georgia Tech has taken advantage of some some inclement weather, um, they are third in the country with seven fumble recoveries. So um, they're, they at least have good luck when it comes to the fumbles. Uh, so maybe it's horrible. Maybe maybe that will uh, maybe that will help uh, help them out and then and uh, Notre Dame will I mean Notre Dame's even had trouble uh, with at least one uh, punt return with a fumble so I think uh, there's a chance that Notre Dame may slip up and have another fumble against Georgia Tech. Next one over under two and a half sacks for Notre Dame's offense or defense. Well, I think the way to beat Jeff Sims is to pressure him. You know he's he's going to be a really good quarterback in the ACC for a while. But, you you know, he doesn't have a great line in front of him. He's mobile, but I think you can pressure him into mistakes. And I think 
beyond just trying to get pressure with the front four, Notre Dame's going to bring some blitzes and give him some different looks. So I'm going to say over on that. Yeah, Georgia Tech has surprisingly done a good job in avoiding getting sacked. They're, they're first in the ACC with 1.67 sacks allowed per game. Um, and Notre Dame has had at least three sacks in three of the five games. So I'm going to lean towards Notre Dame continuing their um, output on defense rather than Georgia Tech's offensive line holding up against Notre Dame. So I'm going over two and a half sacks for Notre Dame's defense. And lastly, a uh, final score prediction for Notre Dame-Georgia Tech. I'm going to go 38-13 Irish. I am going big on Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame's going to score 52 points to Georgia Tech's 13. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys – are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. You can submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at TJamesNDI and Eric's at EHansonNDI. First one we have is from IrishFan102. Which second and third string players impressed you in the fourth quarter? I would say, I mean, Isaiah Foskey had a lot of his reps in the second half. He ended up with the most reps of all the defensive ends. And I thought he was pretty good throughout the game. But I'll tell you, the guy that popped for me, and, and I've got a few here, but the guy that really popped for me was Isaiah Pryor. That kind of surprised me. You know, he was playing the rover. He had a nice pass rush where I think he jarred the ball loose from the quarterback. Uh, he just looked like he was kind of finding a home at rover, which, you know, he's not going to get a lot of opportunities in high-leverage situations. But to come in – in that situation, it's kind of a new position for him still. That, that If I had to narrow it down to one guy, that's who it would be. Yeah, I, I was impressed with Pryor as well, and uh, I actually asked Brian Kelly about him yesterday, um, and Brian Kelly was pretty complimentary and, and says he's liked what he's seen from Isaiah and has even sort of tasked the defensive coaching staff with trying to figure out ways to get him on the field or find different roles for him. Um, certainly he's been uh, helpful on special teams already, um, I'm curious to see with Paul Moala out, they've moved Jack Kaiser essentially into the backup rover role behind Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. And the backup rover role isn't exactly someone that gets a lot of playing time. Um, so maybe maybe they move Jack and, and keep him on inside, at one of those inside linebacker positions where I think a lot of people would like to see Jack even get some playing time potentially at the buck linebacker spot. And maybe they're more comfortable with playing Isaiah as the backup rover and then maybe get him on the field in some nickel or dime situations. Um, but I think uh, – and, and I think it, it could be helpful because Isaiah still has one more year of eligibility left. Um, he, could, he could be the starting rover next year. So I think getting him some opportunities um, I think could be um, a, good, uh, a good move for Notre Dame. And I, I've li when he's on the field and doing things, I've liked what I've seen. He's pretty athletic. Um, I don't think he's as athletic as they would like him to have been to play safety, which is why they moved him to Rover. Um, but I think for the Rover spot, he has some good traits and um, he certainly has a pretty good motor and, and, it's, it, and it isn't, a, isn't, isn't a, a shy tackler by any means. So um, I think uh, that's a guy that, that really stood out to me. Another guy, Ovia Gofu, I thought he had some nice reps late. Um, I'm not, I had kind of higher expectations for him earlier in the season uh, going into the season and he hasn't been able to, sort of get to, to that production yet and missed a game. Um, but I think uh, he could be a part of uh, um, the rotation on the defensive uh, defensive line moving forward a little bit more and, and finding ways to get him um, to maybe improve the pass rush a little bit. Next one we have is from Samuel Ramirez at Samuel27RC. What do you need to see against Georgia Tech to feel better that ND can compete against Clemson? Well, you know, they don't present the matchup like Pittsburgh did from a defensive front. Um, you know, there's nothing that Georgia Tech really excels at. So for me, I need to see more dominant defensive performance from Notre Dame. I think defense is Notre Dame's trump card when it plays an elite team, which Georgia Tech isn't and Clemson is. Um, I need to see poise from uh, – you know, Ian Book, and I thought he was a lot more poised in the pocket and with his decisions. And then I'd, I'd like to see them 
look take another step, incremental step in the passing game. Now, again, when you're going against the number 77 pass efficiency defense in the country, it's not as much of a test, especially when there's not the pass rush that Pittsburgh can create. But you're you're looking for crisp. You're looking for execution. And I think those will all give you some momentum toward, you know, building for Clemson. Yeah, I think the, the really the only things that I – Obviously, trying to get out of there healthy would, would certainly help. Um, but it, the only thing that I think would make me feel better is Ian Book playing well in the passing game, showing some more consistency. I think I have a pretty good um, understanding and I don't know if the trust level is the right way to, to describe it, but I think I have a pretty good read on everything else within uh, on Notre Dame's team and how they would show out against Clemson. Now, certainly the offensive line is going to be tested um, against Clemson, and uh, that's going to be that, – that'll go a long way in deciding how, how Notre Dame performs in that game. But what the offensive line does against Georgia Tech isn't going to to sway or change how I feel going into the Clemson game about that. So there's not a lot that I, I think that you, we can see in this game that will make people feel a lot better. You're still going to have the same sort of hesitations and worries um, going into the Clemson game based off of everything you've seen this season. Um, and I don't know that – the Georgia Tech game is going to do a lot to, to change many opinions going into it. Now, obviously, if they struggle, everyone's going to feel a lot worse about it, but um, I don't anticipate that necessarily happening. Uh, next question is from Frank Sarah at Frank Sarah 3 Do you feel Notre Dame will rush the ball over 45 times against Georgia Tech? I thought we were done with place your bets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Frank Frank likes to ask the, the uh, sort of prop bet questions for us, so I think, I think he, he wants to get in on that action. Well, in the – Five games that Notre Dame has played, they've run at 42, 45, 42, 49, and 50. So I'd say 45 is about the right number. Yeah, uh, he, did, he did his research. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'd say I'm going to stick on 45. I'm going to say right at 45. Uh, I, I'll go over part, most partially because I think it'll be lopsided, so I, I don't think the Notre Dame is going to be throwing the ball a lot in the second half. Um and it's right on the number of what Notre Dame's averaging, so it wouldn't be terribly surprising to see them go over that. I don't know if they're going to go over it by a lot um, because I do think they want to continue to emphasize the passing game and make some make some strides there early, but I, I do think they'll they'll get over that with uh, the, late, the late game running. Next question is from Joe at Joey Salvatore. Is Lawrence Keyes going to be a starter, starting receiver going forward? And what is the likelihood we see Johnson's uh, or Xavier Watts make significant contributions against Georgia Tech this weekend? Wow, that was easy for me to say. Okay. Um, I would say I would certainly wouldn't look for Lawrence Keys to start this week. He is back in a competitive situation in practice, <laughs> which means he's competing for reps and not competing for a starting spot. I think Avery Davis is playing well enough to kind of hold him off I mean, Lawrence would really have to surge in the next few weeks to overtake Avery. I think what Lawrence can do is make that a timeshare with Avery. Um, and then as far as the two freshmen that he mentioned, Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts, I don't think there's anything significant they're going to do in the Georgia Tech game. If they get in, they'll be getting in because the game's lopsided. And so they will just be – either getting close to Tyler's scoring prediction or, or not getting close to mine. So uh, I don't, I do not see them playing a large role in the game Saturday. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's much certainty at all with what Lawrence Keyes' role will be moving forward. I think I like, I agree with you. I like what Avery Davis is giving them at the slot. Um, I'm not sure how much faith there is in Keys right now, and I, I don't know how much that is health-related and or performance-related. Um, certainly, he was a guy I was high on um, coming to Notre Dame, and he hasn't really met, met those expectations yet. Um, maybe there's a chance that if Braden Lindsay is out for a significant amount of time, that they try him at the the field wide receiver position to 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 maybe stretch the field a little bit, give him a few reps here or there. Um, um, instead of just only playing uh, in the slot. Um, but I, I just – I don't really know what what that means for Lawrence Keyes. And it's tough for those guys that are playing slot because they're they're not only sharing time with each other, they're sharing time with the second tight end. Um, and with the way Michael Mayer and 
is playing alongside Tommy Tremble, it's, it's going to be hard to keep those guys off the field too. So um, as far as Johnson and Watts, I think that the odds are very low. Um, Brian Kelly has had opportunities to mention them when we ask about wide receiver options and if, they, if there's other guys they want to get involved with, with some more injuries at the position. And he doesn't bring them up. So I think that tells you all you need to know about how close they are in terms of making a, an impact um, right now for Notre Dame. Next question is from Carlton Butler at Carlton underscore Butler. What is it going to take to see the freshman receivers Watson Johnson on the field this year? We've seen freshmen become key contributors in other positions, but new blood in an anemic position seems just like just what the doctor ordered. Brian Kelly would argue the opposite with you. Uh, Brian Kelly would say what the doctor ordered is continuity, that they're finally getting to the point where Ian is becoming comfortable with the receivers that he has because they've been hit with injuries and COVID situations and the big break, nine-day break from practices. And so he feels like the chemistry needs to build at this point. And he cited the 73-yard touchdown uh, to Ben Skoranek as an example of where Ian threw that before Ben had made his break. Uh, because he knew where Ben would be. And if you try to do that with Jordan Johnson and Watts, you're kind of starting from scratch with the chemistry. I I think uh, the person that asked the question, I think their thinking is sound because I asked Brian Kelly that very question after the Pittsburgh game. You know, I thought, do you need to get some of these speed options higher on the depth chart? especially with Lindsey kind of gimping around and Kevin Austin out. And he seemed like, no, that he wanted to lean on the continuity thing. So I think that's what we're going to see. Yeah, that's kind of a little bit of what I, what I um, was talking about in the last question. I think in terms of what it would take, I think probably um, certainly they're, they're, if, if Lindsey continues to be out, um, that would increase their chances, um, but but before that even really comes to reality, I think it would we'd have to see guys like Joe Wilkins and Lawrence Keys not really making any progress to give them opportunities because they're not they're not these freshmen aren't competing with Ben Skoranek and Javon McKinley or Avery Davis, the guys that are already out there. They're competing with the guys that we don't see a lot of, um, and that may Notre Dame may start to rely on a little bit more, um, and so. We'll, they, they, they have a, a bit of a climb left to make um, for whatever reason, um, and that's kind of the reality of the situation right now. Whether that's right or wrong, I don't know that we can determine because we don't see them in practice at all. We haven't seen, haven't seen Jordan Johnson in a practice ever in person. Uh, we just got to see Xavier Watts once in the spring, and so our, our, our opportunities to sort of get a gauge what those guys look like it, it has been severely limited this year. Question is from Derek at Gerbs Irish 2 Is it fair or unfair to think that Tommy Tremble hasn't been utilized to his full ability five games into the season? It's been pretty clear how much of a tremendous blocker he's been for the running game, but he doesn't seem like a top throwing option with Mayer in the mix. Well, I think he can be. Brian Kelly was asked about that very thing, and Brian's thought was that Tremble has been banged up to the point where it's hurting him in the receiving game and not in the blocking game. So I'm going to trust Brian's assessment on that. And I think eventually we're, we're going to see Tommy Tremble, you know, jump back up there and start getting some catches again. I mean, he's a difficult matchup. I mean, both those tight ends are, I think you're the guy that's not going to get a lot of opportunities to catch the ball is Brock Wright even though he continues to be listed as the starter. <laughs> he, he still is out there getting, getting reps and running routes in key situations, which is a bit surprising to me, but they obviously trust him, even though that Ian Book doesn't necessarily seem to trust him enough to throw the ball his way a lot when he is out there. Um, I, think, I think knowing that Tommy is banged up in some way that is maybe limiting him as a receiver, I think explains a little bit more of how he's been used. Um, I'd also be curious to see, I mean, I don't think it's easy to establish like two tight ends as like your top receivers I think in the same game. I think you seem to rely on one or the other in a game. I don't know that you're going to see like six catches from Mayer and five catches from Tremble in the same game. 
Um, maybe they can find a way to, to make that a part of the offense, but we haven't seen that yet. Um, so I think it kind of um, will go back and forth between who maybe has a bigger game between the two of those guys. Um, and I, I, th- I think if they can find a way to make both of them have big impacts, that could help this offense. But uh, I haven't seen sort of how that would look yet to get a good sense for that. Um, Ian clearly trusts Michael Mayer. And I imagine the more Michael Mayer puts on tape, the more opportunities that Tommy Tremble is going to get if they're on the field at the same time, because you can't really, you can't throw multiple guys at both of them. And so you're going to have uh, some mismatches for, for one or the other, depending on how, how defenses decide to treat them. Next question is from Brent Leonard at Burt 2834. Which wide receiver would help this team more golden Tate or Michael Floyd? It's a great question. And you know, Golden had one great year, a good year, and then a year where he was underutilized. Michael Floyd was good. When he was healthy, he was good all four years. Um, But I think Golden fits what this team needs more than Michael Floyd does. I think, you know, when you think about Golden, you think about that he would play the position Will Fuller, Braden Lindsey, um, you know, Kevin Stefferson did that speed wide receiver on the outside. And right now, Notre Dame doesn't have a healthy version of that. Um, and so if you put him on the field, you could move Ben Skoranek into the boundary. Um, but if Michael Floyd were the guy that you picked, I think Michael's Michael could play either side, but his better fit would be the boundary receiver, I think. Um, and then you still don't have a speed guy opposite him. So I like Golden Tate in that situation. Yeah, I think I could I could make a compelling case in either direction. And I think sure. when I first started to think about it, I was leaning towards Golden Tate, like you were mentioning. Um, he's probably he's better at stretching the field than Michael Floyd was. Um, but I'm just not sure how much Ian would take advantage of that. Now, given if it's Golden Tate out there, you'd like to think that <laughs> just throw the ball to Golden Tate, how hard could it be? Um, but we've seen what Ian can do with guys like Michael Floyd, with with Miles Boykin, with Chase Claypool, and Ian seems to be comfortable throwing two guys like that. He plays well with big receivers that can help him maybe through some mistakes and make back shoulder catches. So I think that maybe that would be – the better fit for, for Ian book would to have have Michael Floyd out there to bail him out in some, some circumstances. Now, certainly I think golden Tate could bail him out too. Not, this isn't to downgrade either of these guys. Um, but I, I think I would probably lean towards Michael Floyd um, because I think um, he would sort of uh, fit best with what Ian book has shown um, an ability to do consistently. Next question is from Rick Dyrolf at Rick Dyrolf one. Do you guys think that if Book plays the best game of his career, that our receivers are good enough to beat Clemson? You know, I was – I'm doing a story on Mike Golick Sr. later this week. Mike is doing the color analyst work for ABC in this Georgia Tech game. And when you look at the other three quarterbacks that are up in the top – you know, that their teams are in the top four in the AP poll – you got Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Fields. And it doesn't feel like Ian Book is anywhere close to those three. Right. But the one thing that Ian has is he has a defense that may be really special. And if Ian could play his best game, I think there's a pathway to victory Um with him not making any mistakes, with him having a high pass efficiency rating. I mean, you're talking about his best game, which would be better than the Stanford game in 2018. And he was really good in that game. So I think if Ian Book played to that level, he's got the defense that could make up for, you know, not being Justin Fields and Mac Jones and Trevor Lawrence and give you a chance. I'm not saying they would beat Clemson, but there's a pathway there. Yeah, I think certainly that makes sense. I, to me, I got hung up on the the receivers being good enough part because if Book plays the best game of his career, there's no way he can do that without the receivers' help. Like he, he can't. Like he wouldn't be able to have the best game of his career just by throwing to the running backs and tight ends. Um, I just don't think that's possible. Um, 
but I also don't think that Book can play the best game of his career without a running game. And I don't think the running game can be its best without against Clemson um, against without book playing well. So, I mean, one of the better games Ian book has played against top competition was against Georgia last year. Um, But he had a couple interceptions. One wasn't necessarily his fault um, on a pass. I think they were both passes to Chris Fink, but one was kind of bobbled by Chris Fink and got intercepted. Um, The other one was a bad throw on a, off a flea flicker. Um, so, and I, and I thought Ian Book played well. He gave Notre Dame a chance to win that game with no running game at all in that game. So They didn't even try. I think, yeah, right. They, just, they, they weren't even interested in trying. So, I think if Book plays the best game of his career, Notre Dame has a chance to beat Clemson. I do think that's true. And I just don't think that he could have the best game of his career without receivers playing up to a level um, that would be good enough to beat Clemson. It just, I don't think the two things could happen at the same time. So, I don't know if that answers Rick's question exactly, but – that's kind of how I view it. I answered it, so don't worry. Rick. <laughs> All right. Uh, the next question is from Chris Buckley at Tover 15. I'd like both of your opinions on the development of Ian Book. I say this as someone who's defended him to haters the past two years. Yeah, he had three touchdown passes this past game, but let's be honest, all three were bad throws. He's a great kid who's a winner and has the intangibles, but I feel he has peaked as far as his skills go. For example, he routinely panics if his first read isn't open he misses guys who are open and throws when he, they're covered and has happy feet. I'd like to know if either of you have noticed these things. I've noticed them. I didn't notice them in the Pittsburgh game, and I thought that's why I felt there was something to be encouraged about because he typically, when Ian faces a team that's really good on run defense and that has a pass rush, it's a real problem for him. And I thought he stood in there and was a lot more poised. Now, he wasn't perfect, but I thought I saw more than an incremental improvement. If he can sustain that kind of arc as an improvement over the last part of his career here, that's going to be something significant for Notre Dame. So, yes, I have noticed those things, but no, I didn't think that I saw them in the Pittsburgh game and I thought that was uh, that was important for Notre Dame. I, I was very confused when I read this question because I, I, I was curious, does Chris not listen to our podcast normally? Because <laughs> uh, I feel like this is something we discuss all the time, and maybe we're not clear <laughs> about discussing what we're talking about with Ian Book, but I feel like all of these things are things that we've discussed when it comes to Ian Book about his progression and what he does well, what he doesn't do well. I'd like to think we've we've covered that. Um, I don't think he's peaked, um, but I don't. I also don't have a high confidence that he can tap into the higher potential, just because it hasn't necessarily happened so far. Um, I think routinely panics is is an exaggeration. Um, I, I disagree that all three of his touchdown throws were bad throws. You have to let you have to throw the ball up and let your receivers make plays. Um, and I think part of Book's issue is his reluctance to do that. Um, he doesn't trust himself and he doesn't trust his receivers enough, especially this year, to just let his guys make a play and give his guys a chance to make a play. It doesn't have to be a perfect throw. We're not going to see Ian Book hitting guys on the run 40 yards down the field right in the bucket like he, just, he handed the ball to them. That's just that's not who Ian Book is. We have to, I think we all can agree on that. Um, his instincts in the pocket, I, I do think, are they help him sometimes and they hurt him sometimes. And that's I don't know how he gets past that. Um, and I don't, I don't know what else they can do to prepare him because I imagine they've, they've worked on that through his three years as a starting quarterback at Notre Dame. Um, so I think that all of these things are true in some, um, in some fashion. I don't know that they're as extreme as Chris made them out to be in certain areas. Um, and I don't think, I don't, the, the thing like, I think even on the broadcast, Ian Book was getting given a hard time by the broadcasters about, his touchdown throw to Michael Mayer that he didn't throw it to him right away when he wasn't even looking at Michael Mayer. So I, I don't even, how was he supposed to know he was wide open when his first read was a different guy? I, I, I'm not, to me, I just, I don't, quarterback criticism can be very easy because you can always find someone who, you can seemingly always find someone who's open, but you don't know how the play works, where they're supposed to be looking first. Now, certainly they could have made a mistake and should have looked at that person first, but we don't know that as viewers. Um, and so I think, it's very easy to be an armchair quarterback when it comes to those kinds of things. 
Um, and when you see a guy play as long as Ian Book has, you're going you're gonna to see all of his warts. Um, like I mentioned to Tyler Buckner, if you're not the best quarterback in the country at Notre Dame, um, people are going to uh, have plenty of criticism for you. And, and some of it is earned. Um, but I think Ian Book certainly um, can play better than he has. Um, I'm just not really sure that how much better it can get. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. What can Notre Dame do between now and the Clemson game to improve the pass rush? Pressure on the quarterback was a very big part of UNC's success against Clemson last year. I think Marie is one of the more perceptive football fans that we converse with. Um, even though their numbers have been decent, I've, I've also kind of watched it and I'm, I'm, that's why I asked Brian Kelly about Dalen Hayes this week, and he gave him a very nice compliment. But I think I've, Isaiah Foskey has to play more. And he, he did in the Pittsburgh game. He had the most right. reps of any defensive end. So I think he's got to find a way to get Isaiah Foskey. And I think to a certain extent, Ovi um, as well, Ogofu. Um, yep. I think – Myron Tigavaloa Amosa at full strength helps them because Myron is so strong yeah. that you either have to double him, which is going to create some opportunities, or he's going to collapse the pocket in the middle. Um, and then Ade Ogundeji needs to get his motor going. You know, I thought he was better last year. And, and so is Notre Dame going to have to blitz a little bit more? They may have to. But you know what? They have some really good athletes that can get home. You know, there were a lot of times in the past where Notre Dame would blitz and they, they couldn't get to the quarterback and then there would be, you know, they, the quarterback would read the blitz and, and be able to get rid of the ball. So I think that they may have to do that some, but I do think the pass rush is something that I'm going to be keeping my eye on a lot this weekend. Yeah, I think uh, that makes a lot of sense. I, I agree with the Isaiah Foskey comment. I already talked about Ovia Gofu earlier. I thought Justin Adamalola played well against Pittsburgh, um, and maybe he's a guy we see a little bit more of. Um, I, I think Ogandeji has been good but not great. I think he can play better than he has. Um, I, I, I have the same sort of questions about Dalen Hayes um, and what he gives you. Um, I don't know that he's giving a ton in the pass rush, and I, I'm not sure he also – like even when Julian Aquara wasn't necessarily pass rushing as, as well as we thought he would – he was a guy that they could drop in coverage and do some things that would just kind of confuse the defense. And I'm not sure that the way Dalen has sold a, sort of bulked up throughout his career, that he's a guy that you trust in space as much as you would have Julian last year. Um, so I, I think they can continue to be creative with linebacker blitzes. Jeremiah off the edge is, is a good blitzer. Uh, Bo Bauer is a good blitzer. Um, and, and you even saw that they can kind of fool teams and have him drop back. And he picked off a pass against Pitt last week in their dime package. So, um, I think there's a number of things they can do, but there is still definitely room for improvement. Um, but it also says I like how much our expectations have been raised for Notre Dame's defensive line with, with the kind of sacks that they've been getting, but we still think that they can do better as a unit. Uh, next question is from Josh Melton, who has another new Twitter handle at Domer Colts fan. Uh, if Clemson played Notre Dame 10 times with this year's roster, how many do you think Notre Dame wins one or more? And then he also asked, Eric, as a leader of men where space, time, and sport have no bearing, which former or current St. Louis Cardinals manager would you pick to replace Brian Kelly? Well, I'll start with that part of the question first because that's easy. I'm going to go with Whitey Herzog. I think Whitey's personality and his love of speed would be the perfect uh, – and his haircut would, would play well at Notre Dame too. Uh, he he wore a flat top uh, haircut, so I, I'd go with Whitey Herzog. You know these out of ten questions. How how often would I, this is challenging my limits of my math, and and only because you know I'm not sure how to kind of calculate that. Um, Notre Dame needs to be Clemson twice out of those ten times, and needs to be the first two times. Uh, so, I mean, the, the thing about it is Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama are so good and so much better than teams four through 25. But those teams lose games occasionally to 
teams lower in the standing. So, you know, again, I think Notre Dame's defense at least gives them a chance in one of those games. I don't know that Ian Book can put together two games that would beat Clemson. I think he can do it once. Um, But then when we get into the whole 10 thing, then I think (laughs) – You know, I, I overcomplicate the question. Have they, are they playing all 10 of these games in the same year? You know, so <laughs> well, I'm going to say they'll beat them two out of 10 times and just plead ignorance on my math. Yeah. Well, I would say, I mean, to kind of simplify that, like what percent chance do you think Notre Dame has of beating Notre Dame? Is it a 20% chance? Then you'd say two out of 10. If it's a 30%, I mean. That's- yeah. But if you're playing that team 10 times, they get to know your personnel better. See, that's where I'm. Well, yeah, but so, I mean, it's fine. It's the same for both teams, though. Notre Dame gets to learn more about. If it. they had amnesia after each <laughs> game, my answer <laughs> different. <laughs> you need you need the time and dates of all ten games before you can consider this. That's right. What are the weather conditions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if it's a downpour, Notre Dame's losing all of them. <laughs> but if it's snowing, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I went with three times. Um, and kind of the, these are, this is the kind of way I thought about it. I thought if, if Notre Dame's defense limits Clemson and keeps them in the game, I think Notre Dame wins maybe five out of ten times in, the, in those instances, that Notre Dame's offense can, can, won't have to score too many points to be able to stay in that game if that, if that happens. Now, I, obviously, I don't think that it's a great chance that Notre Dame's defense can do that, but I think there's a decent chance that Notre Dame can – can play well enough on defense to at least keep the offense within arm's length of, of Clemson. So I say that there's like a 50% chance of Notre Dame winning if, if that happens. Now, obviously, what are the odds of Notre Dame's defense doing that? I don't know exactly. Then I think, but if it's, a, if it's a shootout, I think it's like a 1 in 10 chance that Notre Dame wins. I don't think Notre Dame's offense can, can do enough against Clemson's defense to win those kinds of games. So I, I, 1 out of 10 might even be – be being nice. <laughs> Maybe there's a zero out of 10 chance if, if it's a shootout. So, so that's where I kind of landed with, with three times. I think I kind of think of that just heads up. I think Notre Dame probably has a 30% chance of winning. I think it's more likely that Clemson wins and loses. Um, so that's kind of where I settled. I, I mean, we're all, we're kind of making this up as we go. Um, I'm not concerned about the times and dates or weather conditions as much as Eric is, but uh, for the fun of the question, I'm going with three times. All right, last question we have is from Stanley in Tampa. The most likely scenario scenario for Notre Dame to get to the playoff is to actually lose to Clemson on November 7th and then beat them in the ACC championship game because of how difficult it will be to beat Clemson twice. This actually makes the, the North Carolina game the most important regular game of the season. Thoughts? Well, I understand. for me, the math on this is a little bit easier for me because it's a realistic scenario. Right. Um, and I think I, – I do not think – I do not necessarily – I think the, the quick, the knee-jerk thinking is they need to win the second one and they can lose the first one. But here's why I don't think that that's necessarily automatic. If you beat Clemson, then they are on the edge of not making the ACC championship game if somebody else nicks them up. Right. Let's say they have a COVID – blow out, they're missing some key players, or they have some injuries and somebody else nicks them. Uh, I think they play Virginia Tech in the, their last game, and that could be you know, kind of a dicey game the way Virginia Tech runs the ball. Um, so I think – and the same thing with Notre Dame. If Notre Dame loses, they, they have no margin for error. But it even gets worse for Notre Dame because then you are inviting Miami into a weird tiebreaker. If Miami goes – and doesn't lose another game. Miami and Notre Dame don't play. And then you start getting into the very strange tiebreakers in the ACC. And so it's going to come down to math and not something that happened on the field as to who gets to the championship game. So I'd say win that Clemson game and ensure you're in the championship game. Then you can worry about, you know, what the second game is going to look like. The other thing is if you beat Clemson, there's a chance you are one or two in the country after that game. And if you were to lose to them in a competitive game in the ACC championship, I don't think you fall very far. 
Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so hard to figure out what the playoff picture is going to look like just because of who's going to make it through the season playing as many games as they're promised. That's why, that's why I can't, I can't buy into the North Carolina game being the most important regular season game because who knows what's going to happen between now and then. And that's, and that's if, even if we rule out like the chances of games getting canceled and that stuff, just like, what if North Carolina loses a couple games? What if, what if all the ACC teams are so bad that Notre Dame's already guaranteed a spot in the ACC championship game, regardless of the North Carolina game outcome there? I mean, so then that game's meaningless essentially. So I, I don't know. Um, obviously it's not meaningless in terms of getting them into the playoff. They still need to win to get in the playoff, but it's not going to prevent them from getting into the ACC championship game. Um, so, and I also, I don't, I understand that beating Clemson, the odds of beating Clemson twice are lower just mathematically, but I don't buy the concept that beating Clemson the first time lessens lessens Notre Dame's ability to beat them a second time. I think that would help Notre Dame. I mean, if Notre Dame beats them the first time, they're going to have more confidence. They're going to know the formula to beat them. Certainly Clemson's going to have responses to that and adjustments to make, but Notre Dame is going to, that's I, I, that, just beating Clemson the first time would do so much for this program. I feel like um, that I just can't buy that it would ne- it would end up giving Notre Dame a better chance to get into the playoff by trying to beat losing to them the first time and then trying to beat them the second time. I mean, Notre Dame's already lost to Clemson in 2018. They know what it feels like to lose to Clemson. I I, I just don't I just don't, I can't totally buy into that premise. Um, I mean that's that I mean that's partial partially why everyone was kind of chuckling how, how this schedule of Notre Dame being in the ACC is actually an easier schedule than its normal schedule, but getting into the playoff isn't necessarily easier because you got to play Clemson twice. Um, so I, I just think um, that you, I, I think you just, you gotta, win, you gotta win the game in front of you and, and not hope that you get another chance to play them again and then hope you can beat them again. Um, I, I think that the odds of Notre Dame, I'm not even sure that the odds of Notre Dame getting into the playoff, if they were to beat them in the championship game versus the the 11-7 game, are, are is necessarily that that much different. I think it could end up being the same. Here's the thing, too. I think this program needs a win over Clemson. You know, we've seen the Notre Dame falling off the big stage too much. We've seen that movie too much, and we need to see them. You know, we've seen them competitive a few times. We've even seen them win a, a few, but people don't remember that. People would remember them beating Clemson at Notre Dame Stadium. I mean, Brian Kelly has been coached for 11 years at Notre Dame, and there's been one top 10 team that's come to Notre Dame Stadium. Top 10 at the time they played. You know, There were teams that became top 10 teams later in the season, but they weren't top 10. The Georgia game – neither of those teams were in the top 10 at the time. They, they both went up and, and were top 10 teams, but right. they weren't at, at the time. The, the only game top 10 win is Stanford in 2018. So that's, you, you got to take advantage of when the number one team comes into your house. Um, I think that's really a chance to make a big statement for Brian Kelly and the program. All right, that's it for today's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review rating if you like what you hear. Tom Noy and Carter Carls will be back on Sunday with a recap of Saturday's Notre Dame-Georgia Tech game. Stick with NDInsider.com throughout the week for all your pregame and postgame coverage needs.